It's Thursday, October 15th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Thursday. It is a happy Thursday. It is. We're well, for some more than others. Right. <laughs> it's a happy Thursday if you were a trip a TripAdvisor shareholder yesterday. Yes. Which I am. Are you? Uh, I am not. We are an MDP too. It is. Uh, it's a happy day if you are a fan of the Kansas City Royals or the Toronto Blue Jays. Oh man! And we got some email from the Toronto Blue Jay fans. We will get to those. We will talk about Walmart. Um, let's start with Netflix, though. The third quarter, they missed by a penny. This is one of those they missed by a penny, and the stock down around nine percent this morning. Um, I don't know. The thing's doubled over the past year, so maybe maybe it's not insane that it's off with a little bit lower profit and U.S. subscribers anyway coming in a little bit. I mean, a little lighter than somewhere between a little bit lower and significantly lower than was expected. Right. I mean, with with Netflix, like I, I I would never pay attention to that earnings number just because of the way the business works and the fact that they're always gunning to get more content and in this they're in this you know mode of of needing to constantly produce new content because that's ultimately the direction in which they're going. Um, you know, I, I think that the, the earnings numbers aren't really as relevant as uh, you know looking at just how they're growing their top line sales and then. Looking Looking at the subscriber numbers, like you mentioned, and so I think, you know, the question is at least fair to ask: Is the domestic market, you know, saturated? Is it mature? Uh, can we expect any real growth from the domestic market going forward? I think probably not. Uh, you know, I mean, I think they'll continue to tack on some incremental subscribers there. Really, the Netflix story is the global opportunity, and that's, um, you know, I think very sensible. It's we saw them make really that sort of 180 in wanting to go from slow, methodical growth to really then just just covering the entire globe in as short a period of time as possible. And I think honestly, I think that's the right decision because the streaming. Market sort of the over-the-top uh, video market has has moved and progressed so quickly uh, that I mean it, they don't really have any time to kind of sit around and do nothing. So I, I think the global expansion makes sense. Uh, you know, I mean it's it's interesting to note Netflix used to be a very simple sort of seven ninety nine a month offering, and, and and now what you're seeing is more and more types of offerings for you know one stream versus two streams versus HD versus 4K and on and on and on family memberships and whatnot and so I think that's actually a good thing in that they are offering more uh, you know for for customers to choose and ultimately with Reed Hastings he is a very customer centric CEO and I think that he's he's looking to make sure he is able to give everybody a choice in the matter and um, yeah I mean I think with Netflix. They're going more and more towards their own original content. So, you know, one of the numbers I like to look at, or two of the numbers I like to look at, are just comparing uh, the growth in revenue versus the growth in their streaming content obligations. And we look at those streaming obligations quarter in and quarter out. That's that big 10 billion plus number uh, that people like to really kind of focus on there. Growth in that, the streaming content obligations grew 17% over the same quarter last year. But the interesting part is that revenue actually grew almost 30%. And so, as long as they continue to grow revenue and grow subscribers in the face of that growing content obligation, all is well. And so, I think that you know the market's reaction today is probably a little bit more geared towards uh, you know the domestic. Uh, I don't want to say weakness, but just sort of the, the flattish sort of growth domestically. And then there's still some uncertainty as as far as 
when and how profitable their, their international uh, market will be. Yeah, and just to be more specific on the U.S. number, the the I think the analyst consensus was a little over 1.1 million new subscribers in the U.S. They came in just short of 900,000. So it was you know that was a that's a full on miss there. But it is. to your point, when you look at the global. Subscri- subscriber growth, which sort of more than made up for that. I mean, and that's the thing, you know, and it's one of those things. Maybe I shouldn't be surprised at this, but the fact that Wall Street analysts are so focused on Wall Street and the U.S. that really, when you look at global subscribers, they came in a little bit higher than expected. They did, and that's because they continue to roll out in these new markets, and they do, they're do. they doing such a good job. Japan of, recently? Yeah, just hitting the ground running. And, and I think, uh, you know, that that is just, again, it goes back to sort of the dynamics of the over-the-top market. We've talked all the time about, you know, Netflix and HBO, and they're kind of trying to become each other. Um, and so, I, again, I think that it's it's been easier for HBO to become more like Netflix, because you know they're essentially just kind of rolling out that over the top platform. Netflix is going to still have to work on trying to build out more and more original content. And I think at least in the short run that's something to keep an eye on because it looks like a lot of the content providers that are selling their content to to you know over the top providers like Netflix are starting to sort of second guess that a little bit and say now wait a minute. You know Netflix's success could be possibly leading to uh, not our failure, but but maybe you know we're we're witnessing a slowdown uh, because we're selling that content to Netflix. Maybe we need to kind of look out there and you know, now that you have more options between Amazon and Hulu and and uh, you know just sort of the on-demand TV everywhere options. Uh, I you know I think I think it makes sense for Netflix to feel a little bit of pressure there in in building out that original content more uh, and, and more quickly. And it also sounds like they're going to try to get into the news game. At some in in some capacity, uh, sort of sort of a comparable to HBO's Vice property that they have, and I think HBO is very shrewd to to renew the contract with Vice and extend that relationship for a long period of time because that is pretty compelling content. The nice thing about that content is it's it's not so time sensitive. You know, they're putting out sort of documentary style news programs that that can live longer shelf lives, and so to see Netflix going in that direction, I think makes a lot of sense. Two things on the content side: when you look at the global expansion that they are making, then it makes all the more sense that they are producing shows like Narcos, which I haven't yet watched, but I've heard great things about. Sure. Um, Marseille, I think, is the is the show that they're working on in in France right now. Um, so it's not you know it's for anyone who looked at House of Cards and thought, well, that's a good show, but what else can they produce? I yeah. mean, they've they've expanded their original content more quickly than I thought that they would. Um, the other thing on that was I just listened to a, a lengthy interview with Adam K. Goldberg, who's the the showrunner of the show on ABC, uh, Meet the Goldbergs. Oh yeah, and uh, which I've seen a couple of episodes, and and interesting guy, smart guy, and one of the things he talked about was. As much as he likes working for ABC and work and working on that show, he did say point blank that there are times when he looks at shows on either HBO or on Netflix and he thinks, boy, it would be really nice to not have to do 24 episodes of this show in a season. It would be really nice to just do 10 because he looks at his own show and sees episodes that he did in the first couple seasons and thought, thinks to himself, oh, right, yeah, that show's not very good. And if we had had more time, we could have made it good. But 
we didn't have the time because we had to crank out 24 episodes. Yeah, and I think that, you know, just to the original content, I mean, Netflix is doing a great job rolling that stuff out. You know what? I've been very impressed with, uh, you know, even even Amazon. I think uh, when they initially got into that uh, market and they were offering out this original content, this, you know, they, they do this pilot season where they let viewers kind of jump in and vote to tell you kind of what they really like. And I mean, they've had, I mean, Amazon has really struck gold, I think, with a couple of shows. Number one, I mean, Catastrophe, which is Rob Delaney. He's a funny guy, but but they made this show that I think it translates well beyond just our domestic market here, and that's one they've witnessed a lot of early success on, and it's going to continue to um, to they're they're going to roll out more seasons of that. Um, another one that's coming out, The Man in the High Castle, which is one that's going to start in November for Amazon was was very uh, well received as well. So I mean, you're you're and I mean HBO. Right. Well, I mean, so HBO has always done it well, but now you're seeing Amazon, you're seeing Netflix, and you're even seeing Hulu uh, starting to do, to do it well also. And so I, I think that, you know, it's obviously at the end of the day, the consumer's the big winner here. Um, investors in, in uh, Netflix and Amazon have been obviously big winners as well. Before we get to Walmart, uh, what goes through your mind when you see What's happening with stocks like Bank of Internet and Valiant Pharmaceuticals oh, this yeah. week? I mean, talk about a roller coaster ride. <laughs> Bank of Internet stock hits a record high on Monday. Wednesday, it drops 30% on this report that one of its, uh, Matt Earhart, I think I have that name right. Yeah, Matt Earhart, one of its former internal auditors, is suing Bank of Internet and, you know, saying, they, and this is his quote: "They cut corners at a rapid pace, and and that kind of thing. And you know, it's back up again today. You got that, and same thing with Valiant Pharmaceuticals. Um, you know, falling falling off a cliff with uh, the report of subpoenas. Uncle Sam would like to know a little bit more about how Valiant is pricing its drugs. Sure, I mean, with I've two different stories there, but I think uh, you know some some good lessons to really take away. I'd, some people asking me on Twitter certainly about Bank of Internet, and Bank of Internet is a recommendation in our in our universe, and it's one that we've been uh, sort of talking a little bit more about in Million Dollar Portfolio. And I mean, given where we're coming from, you know, in the with the with the financial crisis still so fresh in our minds, I mean, it's understandable at least that if we hear news of a lender cutting corners. That you know, well, we saw how that really upended our banking system. It's it's understandable to still be a little bit sensitive to that. And and you know, Bank of Internet makes most of its money through big lending, uh, admittedly to to borrowers that may not necessarily have these same kinds of assets or paper trails that uh, conventional banks may be looking for. Uh, so, Bank of Internet is one where you know it's a small cap stock. It's obviously a a disruptor in a sort of more conventional industry in banking. Um, you know, there are two sides to every story, and and you have to, I think, look at litigation situations like this. You've got one person saying one thing, and and you've got leadership at the company saying another. Now, I I will, you know, uh, doff my cap to to Bank of of Internet's management there because they were very quick to jump online and hold a conference call to to counter this. Um, and that's what we like to see. Obviously, we we don't want to see management kind of sit back and say, "Oh, well, we're assessing the situation." I mean, they held a special call to really kind of get in there and, and dispute this. Um, but again, I mean, Bank of Internet. That's if if you're a holder of shares, I don't think this is something that makes you want to sell them. But by the same token, I don't think this is something that makes you want to back the truck up on a company like this anyway, because it's a higher risk investment. Now, with Valiant Pharmaceutical, I think this is a bit of a different story, just because. 
you know, whenever something like this comes up, you want to look at the situation and say, okay, is this a thesis changer? Does this change the reason why I invested in this company to begin with? And with Valiant, I mean, Valiant is playing in a space and they're dealing with an issue, obviously, that's of national concern in healthcare and the costs associated with it. And, and Valiant has a reputation, at least, for raising prices on drugs. And so, I think the majority of people, rightly or wrongly, are going to look at Valiant as probably a bad guy in this in this transaction in some capacity. That doesn't necessarily mean they're right or wrong in doing that, but I just perception often can be everything and certainly is everything in the market. Um, and, and I think that you know, Valiant. This is something you know going into investing in Valiant. You know that it's going to be something that is at uh, at risk of, of sort of being dragged through the mud in regard to this. Uh, you you know that they have that that's how they make their money is is in selling drugs. But but they're also working within the system that they've been given, right? And so I think that it goes back to that Charlie Munger uh, sort of lesson that incentives are very powerful and and Valiant is. You know, again, working within that system, kind of like the way our tax code works, you, you just you do what you can to really, you know, help mitigate your your liabilities and maximize your uh, your opportunities there. Who's to say how this will this will this will drag out for Valiant? We're in the middle of a big uh, you know election year coming up, and I'm sure they're probably going to use healthcare as a big political punching bag. It remains to be seen. Yeah, on Wednesday's episode of Industry Focus, Christine Hargis, uh, that episode is is really digging into, uh, in the wake of the Democratic candidates' debate, the the healthcare plans of Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, and sort of <laughs> digging into that. So, uh, <laughs> and am I the only one? I know this has been said before, but I am just as a Seinfeld fan, and just sort of. Catching a little bit of that debate. I mean, Bernie Sanders really does sound like George Steinbrenner on Seinfeld. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, he just, that, that is just, you <laughs> so, close your eyes and it's just, it's like, there's no difference. Someone, uh, um, someone on Twitter wrote uh, during the debate that, uh, I really hope Bernie Sanders doesn't give a closing statement. I hope he just plays the the theme song from Curb Your Enthusiasm because <laughs> he's kind of got the Larry David thing going yeah, on. Yeah, he there does. As he well. really does. Uh, what a week for Walmart, and 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 by that I mean what a bad week for Walmart. On Wednesday, the stock has its worst one-day drop in 20 years. They came. This isn't on earnings. This is on the forecast. Uh, CEO Doug McMillan came out, and we're not even at third quarter earnings, and not only. Was he cutting guidance for this fiscal year? He cut it for next fiscal year. It's basically, yes. don't expect us to do anything good money-wise in the next eighteen <laughs> months. That's basically what he said. Well, I mean, you know, except for maybe the customer. I'm sure they're going to try to keep costs low for the customer. I mean, that's what the what the business was more or less founded on. Um, you know, I mean, the more time that passes, uh, the more to me Walmart starts to look like a real. Has been in a relic of the the retail industry, in you know what retail once was. You know, my wife and I were talking about this last night, and just, you remember when we were kids growing up, how how revolutionary Walmart was because they could set up shop so quickly, and they just had this place where you could go get everything. And you know, now I mean, with the, with the advent of e-commerce, I don't think it's just Amazon that that is the cause for Walmart's demise. Though I think. I think Amazon is truly a big part of it, and I think that the more the more things we see like this, you know, with Walmart jumping out here, you know, again, credit to leadership for doing this, you know, giving giving right. investors the facts. Uh, but by the same token, I mean, I think the more you see stuff like this, the more I think Amazon bears have to at least start acknowledging 
why Jeff Bezos is running that business the way he's running it, and why he's reinvesting in that business and building all of this distribution capability at such a rapid pace. Because I think you know he had the wherewithal to really see where retail was going, the opportunities that existed. And now Walmart is really playing defense. They're caught back on their heels and they're trying to sort of utilize that physical presence that they already have to, to sort of compete in that realm. But man, I tell you, Amazon has done such a good job already in in winning over customers and winning over loyal customers. Uh, it's not to say it's just an Amazon world, though, right? Because you have your Costco's of the world that are doing very well, and then you look at Home Depot or Lowe's, and so I think your specialty retailers are going to continue to do very well because they're specialty retailers. But but you know, Walmart doesn't Walmart doesn't have the same identity that maybe it once had. Uh, and I think that's that's you know proving to be a little bit of a liability. And you know, one thing that really caught my eye yesterday was when the CEO stated, "This is a he's referring to Walmart." He says, "I quote: This is a growth company. It just happens to be a really large growth company." And and I think that I I, I just I can't I can't you can't wrap I, your head no I that? just I, I I'm going to dispute that until I die. I mean, like it's it's not a growth company. Like nobody you wouldn't have. We don't look at it as a growth company here. I, I didn't hear that comment, and and the uh, I want to give McMillan a little bit of credit as you know as you did because look he was very he was very blunt he was very specific look this year we're in, we're investing in wages there was the big this is the largest private employer in the United States yeah over one and a quarter million people working at Walmart so it's not an insignificant thing when they raise wages so this year they're they're investing in wages next year. It's it's e-commerce, and so I like to think that he was referring to the e-commerce because if you think about how far they have lagged on the e-commerce side, then yes. But to your point, in general, no. Maybe it's, if he just is, said, yeah, maybe if he said we want to be a growth company. I mean, maybe that maybe that would have resonated a little bit better with me because I mean, you have you look at it from two perspectives, right? I mean, as as an employer, I mean that's great. They're doing the right thing. They're raising employees' wages. I think that anytime you have a company that focuses more on the employees and the culture of the business and and taking care of the people that really make that business successful, that's awesome. You want to see that. Now, from an investor's perspective, you know you have to take that kind of stuff into consideration. We know that. Walmart is going to be witnessing higher costs here in the future, and that's that's going to change sort of the investment thesis there. I will I will go back to you know they just authorized they just just announced another twenty billion dollar stock buyback authorization, and just you know for investors you go back to two thousand and eight and you look at what they've done to this point right now with stock buybacks they've spent about fifty five billion dollars in total on share buybacks, yet the stock has has done. Very poorly. I mean, it's trailing the market. It has not not been a big winner for investors. Uh, you know, I mean, I think I would rather see them instead of buying back all those shares. I mean, a dividend at least is cash in the pocket. But but again, I mean, it's just it's looking at sort of the old versus the new. And I think that Walmart is really struggling to to get out from that identity as as one of the old. And uh, I don't see you know, I don't see a catalyst on the horizon. That makes this a compelling investment idea anytime soon. Remember when we talked earlier in the week about what we were looking forward to in in this earnings season, and I said, oh, yeah. I said retail guidance. I want to know what retailers say about the holiday season. And McMillan was asked about the holiday season. You know, what what kind of holiday season are you anticipating? And I don't know if you saw this, but he said, fine. <laughs> And I just thought, Fine. for anyone who's ever been in a relationship of any kind for any length of time, 
man or woman, if you're having a tense conversation and you say to the person you're with, you know, are you okay? And they respond, I'm fine. We know. That means no, I'm not fine. So that's that's immediately where my head went. But it's like Precisely. Oh, fine? No, no, it's not it's fine. It's like when you hear him on the call say it was solid. <laughs> yeah, that's the best adjective you can come up with and maybe we need to reassess. As I mentioned at the top, the reaction from our Canadian listeners was very fast when uh, Bill Barker said, I think if the Blue Jays get in the World Series, that's good because they're going to bring in more viewers. And Bill Mann and I said, well, I'm not sure that people, you know, Toronto's a big city. I'm not sure if people outside of Toronto necessarily are going to be rooting for the Blue Jays if they get to the. You just World can't Series. lump them all into just being we, we Canadians, want, right? You know, we don't have. We're not going to lump everyone together. Um, and then the the email started coming <laughs> from Randy Greencorn. Are you kidding me? I live on the west coast of Canada, some four thousand kilometers away from Toronto. And let me tell you, we are pumped. There are a few things that can unite a country, like beating our big body neighbor at their own game, <laughs> baseball. We did it twice in the '90s, and can't wait to do it again this year. From Kevin Marcotte, I'm 29, living in Toronto, and listen to your podcast regularly. Love the show. It's been because of shows like Motley Fool Money and Market Foolery that I had the push to start investing when I was first out of school, and now proud to say I have the start of a nice nest egg that I hope to keep on growing, which is great. We love we love hearing that. Absolutely. So keep, keep it up, Kevin. There are regular stories not only of bars and restaurants filled up in Toronto and Montreal, but even on the West Coast like Vancouver, Vancouver. Calgary, Saskatchewan, etc., as well as out in the Maritimes. I had friends from Calgary visiting over a Canadian Thanksgiving this past weekend, and and they tell me Calgary has turned blue with all the Jays jerseys. From Ryan Phantom, Bill's comments on yesterday's show were absolutely right, which I hate to hear. I Bill, just, which uh, which Bill Barker? I just hate to hear Barker. Him. Barker's right. He's a smart guy. Uh, yes, Canadians across the country, including to a lesser degree the folks in Montreal, are ra- rallying around the Blue Jays and will be rooting them onto the World Series. If the Jays were a stock ticker symbol BJS, uh, it would have edged out TripAdvisor as the top performer on the market wow. after yesterday's comeback Game Five victory. And finally, from Sean Herbert in Montreal, I'll be watching. Just to see Toronto go down in flames. Ooh, which we, you know man. what? Again, that goes to my point and Bill Mann's point. Like, eh, not everyone is is watching for the same reason. Not everyone has the same motivations in mind. Can you imagine? I think what was a Joey Batista that bat flip from yeah. that? You know, I, yeah, I have to believe that Canada as, as as a nation generally was just just collectively pumped. And then, I mean, you're all over the internet. It's like the vine of the year. It's got to yeah. be. Yeah, it was. Strong. I mean, it was it, that was strong. Yeah. Big win. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.